again to another episode of mike mike and oscar and oscar race checkpoint we just keep firing them out the shoot but i guess that's a little appropriate because if this was any other normal film year uh this would be the time for a lot of oscar news and updates uh it's anything but a normal film year this year so these oscar race checkpoints have have kind of gotten a new slant to them with all the uh ancillary updates that are going on in the film and awards world and we're going to be on top of all of it for news and a little tv today too i am your co-host mike one this is co-host also mike yeah a lot of tv we've been watching a lot of tv this year mike we've been watching a lot of tv lately tv's been saving our lives i think (laughs) in many ways and i think we've watched more emmy nominees than ever before uh even though we've been movie crazy the last couple weeks but more emmy nominees uh than ever before is at least as far as i'm concerned and i really came away from the emmys last night feeling good about the state of television and I guess uh, it's good to feel good about something. <laughs> Certainly, it's a feeling we need more of in 2020, whether we're talking about TV, movies, news, politics, the world being on fire. Uh, take your dealer's choice there, I guess. But yeah, we're going to be recapping our unqualified Emmy show recap. We did this for the Emmys nominees and nominations when they were announced uh, last month, and we are going to be recapping the show in full. It's the first major award show to go forward in this pandemic world we now live in all virtual everyone was at home we're going to get on top of and tell you all about how we felt about the show last night and the winners we could start though with some movie news michael and we had tiff go down and hand out some awards the toronto international film festival went forward and they wrapped up as well yes the grosch audience award winner is nomadland nomadland is now two for two On film festivals, fall film festival awards, the first runner-up was One Night in Miami, Michael. What was your instant reaction to Nomadland going two for two? My instant reaction was, this has to be taken even more seriously for Best Picture now. And I know the Golden Lion in Venice is is one thing, and they've been trending in the Oscars direction the last couple years. We recapped that recently on a separate ORC. But really... Nomadland, the feeling with the Golden Lion, at least on film Twitter, in mass was great job. Still not sure it's a best picture contender because it's a. It seems to be a downer movie. It seems to be a critically acclaimed and a critic favorite movie. Those aren't necessarily the type that get into the best picture field. Usually, you have to have somewhat of a feel good story attached to you. So at least that's what I was having not seen the movie yet. Nomadland at all. That's what the word was out there. Now it's the first movie to ever win both the Grolsch at TIFF and the Golden Lion at Venice. I think it's the first anyway. I'm pretty sure. But since no other movie has done that before, I don't know how you don't think it's a best. picture picture it's got to be at least a favorite to be nominated at this point at the oscar season right no question about it and hearing some of the buzz it's not just like a parade of sadness film it's not good it's not that type of what did we see two years ago that was 100 percent on the tomato meter with ben foster and he was just walking through the woods what was that <laughs> yeah that was um <laughs> i uh god thomas and mckenzie was in that was our first introduction to her too all right you keep talking i'll look it up all right well nomad land is not that this is more of a story that kind of gets the pulse of the nation right now in many ways according to other critics we are very excited to see this with the new york film festival at the end of this week and we're planning a review for you guys early uh next week so that is is really cool and we're we're glad to get in on uh some of the early reactions to it but uh yeah i'm surprised i'm surprised that we got such a bona fide contender coming out of the two fall film festivals I pictured you doing like the Spock Wikipedia cross-checking 
immediately after it happened and i was like mike's just got, i don't know what he does he must get like the tabs and in, in, in a weird alignment to where he could just go back and forth back and it, forth. It, that's exactly what it, i'm not gonna lie to you it's a lot of just my eyes going back and forth between two different tabs that's exactly what it is leave no trace by the way michael is the leave name of that movie no trace which sounds like a parade of sadness and it was but it's also a great film so a movie like that if that's nominated in any year we're happy with it but it's usually yeah. not nominated in any year because it's so damn sad Nomadland might not be in that category. We'll tell you early next week. But I did do some stats myself on the Grolsch People's Choice Award. This has been given out 43 years at the Toronto International Film Festival. Mike, out of the last 42, we -hmm. have eight Best Picture noms in a row. Oh, wow. Nine of the last 10, including three winners in Green Book, 12 Years a Slave, and King's Speech. We have six Best Winners overall. So six out of 42, that's 14%. Mm-hmm. We have 23 Oscar-winning films have won the TIFF wow. Audience Award. That's 23 out of 42. That's 55%. Yeah, it's going to be better than a 50-50 prop right there. And we have 31 out of 42. They have gone on to be Oscar-nominated. So only 11 films got snubbed at the end of the day. It's 74%. A movie wins the TIFF Audience Award and goes on and gets nominated for Oscars. And that's something we've talked about, TIFF. It's kind of been the the film festival that's been most alluring to me for that reason. It seems to be of the major film festival, the four biggest ones, the most that's the the most tied into the Oscars picture, mm-hmm. and it's because of its placement on the calendar and it's where a lot of the major films go and et cetera, et cetera. But it seems to have had the most prolongated finger on the pulse of the Oscars frame. Yeah, I hear you're giggling back there. You edited that so. like four like two times and <laughs> prolongated. That's a word. That's a word. I'm almost sure that is a word. I think that's a word. Uh, I'm going to stand by that being English and not just one of my made-up words. uh, You have too much schooling behind you. At this point, you have amnesia. You have, like, I know too many words amnesia, and you keep fucking them up lately. Just put different syllables and smashing them together like a Frankenstein monster. It's pretty funny. But in all seriousness, like, I I think the Golden Lion is great, and we've seen the Golden Lion turn its head more towards the Oscars-centric type awarding Mm -hmm. in the last couple years, but TIFF is where it's at, and I think TIFF, this doing this at TIFF is now, Golden Lion aside, even if it didn't win at Venice as the best picture, and obviously since it did, it's even more pronounced, but even if it didn't win Venice, just winning TIFF, I think, would be having it more appealing to the Oscars picture and more likely to be seen at the Oscars for all us pundits out there. Now... That being said, let's be fair. Uh, It's a diluted year, and it's a diluted fall film festival slate. So could this year be an exception where it gets snubbed at the end of the day? Yeah, I mean, it's more dangerous for Nomadland this year than ever before. But I also think the punditry is pretty up in arms about this film with uh, universal acclaim. I do think that perception equals reality and this early momentum is good for a smaller film. And I do think there are a lot of narratives behind it that could really push it forward. But like I said, we got to see it at the end of this week, Mike, and uh, we'll be able, we'll be the final authority on it for you guys. And uh, as we always are on all important things, that's correct. And I won't back off of that statement, Mike, (laughs) I wanted to, you know, do a quick recap of some of the tips. Telluride Venice acquisitions really quick let's start off with the two biggest streamers we had Amazon a month ago they bought one night in Miami Regina King is in the conversation at every award so show it seems yeah. so what a 72 hour she's had huh could she like single-handedly like wrestle Amazon back into the Oscars conversation this year I, 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 think, I so. think Regina King could single-handedly do any goddamn thing she wants she is so immensely talented I'm very excited to see her directorial feature debut but, uh, you know, Amazon has a ways to go. Yes, I, I think that's the underlying sentiment there. But it's exciting. It's exciting for yes, Amazon. absolutely. They've made a lot of movies we really liked over the years that we mm-hmm. reviewed that we thought probably shoulda, coulda, woulda, you know, got more Oscars traction if they really pushed for it. But anyway, they also bought The Boy from Medellin, which is about a reggaeton musician so it's a musical doc that i've heard some good reviews about and that it's a unique documentary from the big picture podcast etc so look out for that as for netflix michael we talked about bruise the halle berry mma film jackie justice yes yes that's yeah 
Jackie Justice. Which, you know, for a pro wrestling fan, you must be over the moon it's about. It's all I need. I'm watching that movie. I'll tell you that. I don't know if we talked about them buying pieces of a woman, but they did do that. Vanessa Kirby is an early, you know, on everybody's Oscar radar candidate for best actress. But coming out of TIFF over the last week, they bought Malcolm and Marie. This is a John David Washington Zendaya film michael and this is from the euphoria creator sam levinson so this seems like a notable addition to their slate at some point because of the people involved zendaya and euphoria having a big night at the emmys as well and we'll touch on that this was also a movie that just kind of happened during quarantine they just decided to make this john david washington and zendaya and sam levinson and and they sell it all to netflix and it's going to be another one of netflix's collection netflix is doing that thing where they're just buying everything that has any amount of notoriety and noise behind it. And I really, really think this is Netflix sees this as, and they should because of the film year, but they see this as like their, their moment. This is our time to own the Oscars finally. Uh, And thank you pandemic in part because for that. I also want to mention that listening to screen talk, IndieWire's podcast there that you guys hear me, basically just bowing to every chance I get, <laughs> but Ann Thompson, et cetera. Rightfully you know, we, so, yeah. yeah. Look, we uh, listened to them interview the New York Film Festival director. He was talking about why Netflix kind of eschewed the fall film festivals, and it seemed like the rationalization or explanation they got from Netflix was more along the lines of Netflix has to prioritize paying everybody Netflix has to prioritize finishing every movie and finishing them the right way and they basically made like a company wide decision to say that look we can't be distracted on the one hand by the fall film festivals nor can we be you know sidetracked economically and we have to you know if we're if we're going to pay everybody for for being on set then we can't really go in for the film festivals this year so I mean that that's that's a nice sentiment, and you want to believe that if you're on the film festival side, I think. Well, I just think we've given them a hard time. Right. Well, the the, all I was going to say was, the other side of that coin is that they're going to these film, these festival markets and buying up a lot of shit. So they're right. still, it's not like they're not spending money at film festivals that they would have done had they actually been participating in them. So, uh, to, two sides of the coin. But yes, you're right. We have given them a ton of flack for various things, and it... it you know they're struggling through this pandemic just like everyone else is and by and large the stories we do report on from netflix and how they treat their employees during the pandemic seem to be what you want to hear from a large corporation exactly yeah so so they do deserve praise for that when they do uh when they do the right thing more purchases from the film festival market here ifc bought the documentary mlk slash fbi that's another one that's going to be at the new york film festival that both mike and i have uh have tickets for are we reporting on that one michael well, at some point, we'll review okay. it for, for the people. I think it's a best documentary buzzed about film. So, again, like we're going to watch that over the next two nights. So it's exciting. Uh, Neon purchased Night of the Kings. That's next also week. going to be a New York Film Festival. And while you say that's next week's its premiere? Yeah, the 29th. So I'm excited about that. Eight, eight, eight days, yeah. Sony Picture Classics has an interesting slate coming up uh, as far as the film festivals and as far as the Oscars picture goes. And mm-hmm. they always seem to like have their foot at least in the door here. They bought the documentary that we have talked about on the show before, <laughs> believe it or not. <laughs> Salvatore Shoemaker of Dreams from Luca Guadagnino. Yeah, that's it's on the level of Ammonite right now. Uh, I just think Luca Guadagnino making a movie about making shoes is... <laughs> This is kind of funny, like because he could do it up, and we'll love it, I'm sure. And Ammonite with bored lesbians and that given eyes across the uh, the the, <laughs> the archaeological landscape, the basin of bones and all their brushes, and just looking up and saxophone music playing in our heads. Again, these are things that my immature brain laughs right. at because I am a buffoon. And you, I just, I'm honest with people, but there is. Do you think Guadagnino's just gotten extremely bored during quarantine? And like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to dive into the shoemaker guy and I'm going to make a movie about truffle hunters. I think that it's, it's better than making a movie about peaches for him. So as long as he's not going that route, <laughs> he won't blow my, you know, the meta jokey, uh, reception, feelers in my brain yeah the salvatore shoemaker of dreams and chalamet banger of peaches 
<laughs> my comedy antennas won't explode as long as he doesn't make anything about peaches is what I was trying to say. Timothy Chalamet can have sex with the produce on screen, and it's the sexiest thing of the year. It's unbelievable. All right. Uh, Solstice is the final one we're going to talk about. They bought Good Joe Bell. That has Mark Wahlberg. It's a father-son story from the writers of Brokeback Mountain. Yeah, got some good buzz coming out of TIFF there. You never know. I think it's an important subject. And, uh, yeah, we'll have to wait and see. But it's, yeah, the business is being done. So that that's exciting coming out of yeah, these fall is. film festivals. It is. Bottom it line. Is. It makes it feel more like an actual year. And I know people are desperate to have any sense of normalcy return. Uh, and we had some of that with the film festivals. We also had the Emmys do their best to try and bring normalcy back. It was the first major award show to take place during the COVID crisis and the, and the quarantine and the pandemic and everything that we're all dealing with here in America. But the Emmys stretched themselves out over a week long, culminating last night, Sunday night, in the Primetime Emmy Awards. Part of what happened earlier in the week, though, they had their Creative Arts Emmys Saturday night, Maya Rudolph won two Emmys for voice acting in Big Mouth and guest acting on SNL, which I imagine we will see much more of her in the not-too-distant future, with Vulture just this week revealing that Jim Carrey has signed on to SNL to play Joe Biden through the election, and Maya Rudolph like the <laughs> You don't like that? I just don't get that. I just think, like, Jim Carrey is going to play that much older like it makes it i don't know I'm, i was a little surprised because they went with you know uh bernie sanders played by who uh what's his larry name? david larry david like at least they cast somebody who's close in if age. they if jim carrey just plays the cop character that he played in in living color isn't that basically joe biden on snl anyway yeah <laughs> Where, you know you suck the lip back and you just look much older and you're bald and <laughs> yeah, yeah you might be right it might there you work, go but... trump trump fans i made fun of joe biden on air <laughs> but look maya rudolph finally getting some major awards uh you know pat her on the back there that's yeah, awesome absolutely a bad education also saturday night won best tv movie that good out el camino yeah, but we, we're on that all year. I mean, mm -hmm. that was the best quote-unquote TV movie that wasn't eligible for Oscars, but actually kind of still sort of was. Anyway, yeah. congrats. Yeah, they, it, was, it was made with the intent of being an Oscar-caliber movie anyway, so I know they obviously went to HBO there. And The Last Dance beat out Tiger King and Hillary for Best Doc Series. This is the one show that I did rewatch before the Emmys, and I don't apologize for it. It's the greatest <laughs> show of the year period that including successions my favorite show and uh i again i don't apologize for it I'm a, I'm a weird breed i'm also a sports fan so are you yeah we can't help it it's a great show about michael jordan and the bulls and the knicks are mentioned in one episode which made me happy <laughs> validated my pain the last dance was an outstanding documentary series and it would probably win the oscar had oj made in america not ruined uh, its eligibility chances a couple years ago no question now as far as the uh, documentary feature categories went the apollo which i reviewed last year that won the main award the cave won the special achievement category in american factory which i don't think was eligible for the other categories that won for directing mike we had uh, another highlight that's that that really warmed my heart we had ron and jasmine cephas jones they became the first father daughter emmy winning winners in the same season and in the pre-shows we got to see them getting interviewed uh, last night. It was just so sweet to see them both glowing with pride for one another and speaking about the other's win. I just thought it was the most genuine uh, thing in the world. I, I was awesome. just uh, tickled pink. That's awesome. And because, you know, because the Emmys played out the way they did, there was a lot of familial bliss being shared amongst Emmys winners all weekend long. Really. I hope so. that's it, because we're living through a pandemic <laughs> as long as it's just familial bliss. Yes. <laughs> so let's talk about some Creative Arts Emmys tallies by network. HBO and Netflix both tied with 19 wins apiece. Uh, Disney Plus and NBC were third and fourth place. They had eight awards each. Uh, for show tallies overall, we had The Mandalorian and Watchmen. They each took home seven awards. SNL took home six. RuPaul's Drag Race uh, came in fourth place there with five Emmys. RuPaul's Drag Race has now, I, I think with its best uh, reality show win, yeah. which happened Sunday night, which we'll get into, I think that's its 20th primetime Emmy win juggernaut yeah snl obviously but that's been in business for yeah. almost 50 years now but yeah I mean, rupaul's drag uh, 
20 Emmys already? Yeah. And it, it's cool to see The Mandalorian and Watchmen get some technical love, and they won awards all over the place as well. But we got the big show that we want to focus on here as the centerpiece of this episode, Michael. Let's go kind of through the broadcast first, I think, because yeah. it's very unique that we got a virtual Emmys, and we have an opening And I, for a positive I think that the fake audience going into the Jennifer Aniston bit, like that fire extinguisher thing had me laughing hard. Okay, okay. Especially so- after she sprayed the envelope for that log. No, I got to – this was just simple. It was goofy. It was funny. I know you have some ups and downs about the opening, but that – Well, you're, like, jumping, get, you're jumping the gun. That's That was the best part, without question. If but I there get was a like, laugh that hard, I mean, it's worth watching, right? That, that, was, that was after the presentation of the first set of nominees. To open the show, we had Kimmel out there with clips from previous Emmys audiences laughing as if he was talking to an actual open, you know, a packed stadium or a packed arena. Mm-hmm. They sold it at first as if they were actually, like, they didn't acknowledge that the audience wasn't actually there until, like, five minutes into his set, which I thought was weird. I was like, oh, they're actually going to go forward with just this fake laughter, which I thought they were going to do basically the same thing that, like, the WWE has done, that the NFL has done, that the MLB has done, and just pipe in crowd noise and make you just not acknowledge that nobody's actually there and let you figure that out for yourself. But they did finally acknowledge it, which was kind of cool. And then, yes, that bit with Jennifer... I mean, they had the Jason Bateman bit to start, where they had all the cutouts in the crowd, and then Jason Bateman was actually there. That was funny. And then the Jennifer Aniston bit was over the top. So, yeah, I'm like you. I was... that The fire with the extinguisher and the dousing it in cleaning fluid killed me. I was laughing very, very hard. Probably harder than I've ever laughed at the beginning of any Emmys uh, show that I've watched in recent memory. It was refreshing. And it was a relief, almost, because I was kind of worried about the show after the the goofy setup. Like, it was... Like, I wasn't mad at it or anything, but I I tend to feel sad when I see the fake crowds in sports. Right, right. You know... it's, it's, it's a lose-lose because if you show the empty arena, that's sad. Or if you show, like, the fake audience, you're like, you know you're living in a virtual reality right. world and it's total recall and you're sad about that. So I get right. it. You're, you're sad either way. I like that. I thought Kimmel was well-equipped to handle the situation, too. He was like, I know the big question you'd ask is, why would you have an award show in the middle of a pandemic? No, seriously, why the hell would you have an award show in the middle of this pandemic? I mean, he was good. He was taking shots at it. I thought he was. He did a fine job hosting. This is not anything that's ever been done before. They had a whole virtual setup. They had all the nominees on this uh, giant screen. Basically, everyone was in a one big Hollywood A-list Zoom meeting. They were all waiting. They had actual representatives from the Emmys dressed in hazmat suits. It was like a post-apocalyptic movie almost. But they were in actual hazmat suits dressed as tuxedos at these people's actual houses to award them the real Emmy prize when they won. It was just at equal parts the best job they could have done and just totally bizarre to realize that this is our reality. It's bizarre because I think comedians thrive on laughs. I don't think I'm going out on a limb yes. when I say that. So they get a little clunky at times when they're not sure that the jokes work or if they think it's corny. So I do think that comedians are a little, for lack of a better word, gun shy when they're mm. delivering, you know, all these, you know, zingers to no one, or I just agree. to the crew who really can't laugh. So I think that gets a little awkward at times. But the, you know, you see the a comedian's confidence when they know it's good, and like, like that bit with Jennifer Anderson killed me. He knew it was funny, and he just kept yeah. going. And then obviously they had improv on top of that because the thing wouldn't, you know, be doused. <laughs> He sprayed it too much. <laughs> I couldn't put the fire out. That was really good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, were, were you surprised with how many people were actually there in person in the studio, in the arena with Jimmy Kimmel? Yeah, I didn't expect to have all the celebrities also kind of coming in and out. I thought that was kind of cool, and it made for some good bits throughout. I thought Anthony Anderson, you know, he was he was really funny. And, like, Blackish is a show I have to watch now because every single clip they showed from Blackish, I was dying. <laughs> I was the Tracy Ellis Ross had a clip. She, they're laying out there. And she, she's like her and her husband's. They're making all this sexual innuendo about giving him tums. I was, I thought that was the funniest thing ever. So I think that helps too when you you, you sell the show at the, at the yeah. end of the day. And a couple shows I'm sold on now. In terms of shows that I don't watch that I need to start watching now because of this this Emmys program last night, I need to watch Rami because. They now have, I realize Rami has a show, an Emmy nominated episode called Mia Khalifa.mov. 
Yeah. Which is hysterical to me. That's an Emmy's, that's a, a bona fide Emmy's nominee now throughout forever history. Mia Khalifa.mov is the name of an Emmy nominated episode. That's hysterical to me. I have not tried Rami yet. It was on my queue all pandemic long and I was going to go at it, but you're, you're right. I think that's one that we just got to do now. What did you think of, you know, the overall functionality of the Zoom speeches, of the montages? Because I am able to watch those and I'm usually frustrated with Oscars Emmys where it's like an inefficient broadcast where we're showing all this time of people walking up. Everybody's kissing everybody. Yeah. Everybody's hugging everybody else. This was just like bing, bang, boom. Someone would have a quick moment. All right. If they're at the party, they'll hug or high five somebody. But then they're boom. They're into their speech. I thought speeches were able to run a little longer. I thought montages were able to, to breathe a little bit. What did you think? And yet they still managed to stretch it out over three hours. I, I thought, look. I'll be brutally honest. Mm-hmm. I'm not an Emmys fan. I I can never, I, aside from a couple bits over the years, I have never watched an Emmys award show and been like, wow, that was a great use of three hours of my time. <laughs> I've just never, I've, I've always thought they were lacking. They always felt long. They always felt a little disjointed. Uh, that's just how I've, I, I viewed them. I think this might've been, I know it got a lot of criticism online, and it is awkward. And yes, it's awkward when you have a late-night host cracking one-liners and there's no audience reaction. I agree with all that. But just doing what they had to do in terms of allowing people to give longer speeches in their acceptance speeches and allowing for more use of montage and stuff, I was entertained for the most part. Like, it dragged a little in the last hour, I thought. But otherwise, I thought this was a, a pretty good viewing experience considering the times we're in right now. I think they were able to capitalize on a few incidentals, like like I was saying before. Like they were able to block all of the awards announcements and basically go from co- all the comedy awards first to limited series to mm-hmm. drama with a few others mixed in, right? So I think that helped. I gave it some continuity. You had a sense of completion after each hour and you had, especially with this Shit's Creek early on that we'll get into, you know, you're wondering if it'll sweep, etc. I do think it was interesting to watch like all the at-home setups and, and do the screen and screen experience because that's something I, I can't always do all that well if, if it's an Oscars where I'm taking notes and I'm trying to get ready for a broadcast right after. Like we told ourselves we would relax what we were doing today, kind right. of go off the cuff, just write down highlights. And it was fun to see the tweet from Rami Youssef on – the, that killed. That was the best part of the night. It was hilarious. <laughs> Talking the guy, the guy in what, hazmat what it suit looks like waving. when you lose an Emmy, and they had one of the Emmy uh, representatives in the hazmat tuxedo suit with the award, walking away from Rami because he didn't win, and Rami's videotaping it and putting it on Twitter, See? which blows my mind because that means they had literally people at everyone's home, every nominee's home, with a separate Emmy trophy, right? Well, that's the thing I have to ask you. Do you think those trophies are engraved or not? That's the biggest question, because I am a a penny-pinching coach, and I have to engrave trophies for the kids at the end of every season, right? And that's my job. It costs X hundreds of dollars to go and have that done. Like, are they wasting all this money to engrave each trophy, or they just have, like, a stock trophy there for everybody, and they'll send them in the mail? I'm very curious about that. We know how the Oscars handles it, right? The Oscars, they go across the street to the big party, and the winners get their trophies engraved in real time. That's set up. That's part of the the pomp and circumstance there. So Um, we know the Oscars aren't engraved beforehand. I didn't know that. Well, we see uh, when Leo finally won his, it was a big deal, a big social media moment, and we saw it happen. But... My guess, knowing nothing about this and this being valuable airtime that I'm filling in right now because I know nothing, <laughs> my guess <laughs> is that they the Emmys must have engraved the winner <laughs> and maybe just give a bunch of other fake Emmy awards to the people standing outside the losers' homes. I don't oh, know. So it was no. It, well, ba- oh, basically, it was a decoy trophy. Right. Right. Exactly. Else. It was it was a, a fake Emmy because it wasn't really engraved. I don't what know. If, what if they were chocolate and they just gave the person the chocolate? Sorry, it's chocolate. But then I hate it's your chocolate. Emmy. So you get to have a chocolate one. I digested your Emmy on the way here. <laughs> My this is the content you come for, folks. Completely unqualified Emmy uh, analysis here. Now, I do want to talk about 
the you know by mid show we started to have teachers and nurses and UPS delivery yes. men. They were presenting awards. I'm guessing that these were not live presentations; that these were filmed and they let people actually get it right. Because you know how many takes we do for this show and right. how often we have to edit ourselves. <laughs> I think the same was true for David Letterman with that Uber driver skit, the guy driving past them yelling, you suck. That that had me laughing. Like all of those prepared digital shorts, those yeah. prepared bits, those prepared speeches even. I thought they were, everything was super smooth, which made me think it wasn't live. But I think it really you know, augmented the broadcast and really helped the broadcast. So as far as the presenters and the the frontline people, they had a farmer, they had a teacher, they had a postal worker. I thought that was a good job. When we when we talked to Ann Thompson, she said how you know the Oscars she thinks could be this big opportunity for the industry. Mm-hmm. The Emmys kind of took that idea and enhanced it a little more. It's a big opportunity for everyone who's still working and still has to report to work and can't quarantine, et cetera, et cetera, and has to be out there doing their job, making money uh, during these times. So I thought that was really cool. Uh, But you're right. They must have had these people sign a huge NDA because those were obviously taped. I mean, they weren't presented in real time. I can't imagine. As a lawyer, that's where your brain went. Like, they cannot spoil this for the public. They yeah, <laughs> yeah. They, I, I assure you. I mean, it, it was all probably nice and and decent. And ABC was there, but then the lawyer got out of the car when they finally got the cut. They were ha- the take they were happy with, and was like, "If you tell anyone about this, we will sue you into oblivion. We'll own this farm. You understand?" <laughs> oh my God, that's so effed up. But it, I think you're right. I think you're probably 100 percent right. Anyway, we had some ads for Fargo season four, Wandavision trailers. I don't know if I'm missing anything. Mandalorian. Uh, did you enjoy the, any commercial in particular? My or can we move on to like the three other big things that we wanted to talk about? Yeah, the WandaVision thing was cool. I don't think it's anything that I, I wasn't expecting though, because we already kind of had a first look at WandaVision months ago. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, for the you know, I, again, overall, without getting into anything specific, because we're going to talk about specifics, I was pleasantly surprised with what the Emmys presentation as a whole turned out to be. In memoriam segment, I thought that was done really well. We had uh, her basically covering Prince, the song Nothing. We had Regis open it. We had Chadwick close it. We had a ton of names that we've been covering throughout the year that we've been lamenting. That you know the, the losses of these people from Diana Rigg to John Witherspoon to Ian Holm, Jerry Stiller, Lynn Shelton, Brian Dennehy. My God, the list is way too long. Uh, her is one of the best live voices in the game, period. She's mm-hmm. an outstanding performer. Every time she's on a live stage, a live award stage, she kills it. She This last night was no different. It was a very touching segment. I absolutely agree. When Letterman did his bit, uh, and he made an, a comment knowing that Letterman and Regis Philbin were such good friends, he made a yeah. comment saying, Regis, I made sure it got you in the montage. I, <laughs> I welled up. I mean, that, that yeah. spoke to Because I was always a Letterman guy growing up, too. I mean, he, to me, he's the king of late night. But uh, that that got to me. To make a joke about your dead best friend and make it funny yeah. and sad, that yeah. is like comic genius. It's, it's very it's very rarely done. I don't know yeah. why I'm praising Letterman now because he's in mourning still, but that's I, I no. Like well, you're right. It, it takes it takes a it takes a deft touch. Absolutely, Mike. I can't believe how long this year has been. And I said this on Twitter when I saw Brian Dennehy passed this year. It feels right. like we we lamented that loss three years ago at this point. I know it's just it's time. unreal. Time has gone so slow. Yeah. Uh, but again, I thought the tributes and the montages and the setups had this broadcast go fairly quickly, at least for me. And I, you know, I'm channel surfing in between. I'm watching the end of the Laker game in between. I didn't have any issues kind of going back and forth. So maybe that helped as well. But we, we had a really nice presentation for Tyler Perry winning the, uh, the governor's award last yeah. night, uh, Oprah, Chris rock. They did a lot of the, uh, the honoring and the introducing there. What'd you think of that ceremony? I thought it was cool. I I know it's a kind of a lame way of saying it, but I thought it really was. I thought Tyler Perry's Studios, which has gotten a lot of big coverage lately for just opening up, it looks immaculate. It looks outstanding. Nothing but respect for what Tyler Perry has accomplished. Uh, I thought all the montages like that. We had America Ferreira talking about her in the industry. We had Lena Waithe talking about getting in the industry. We talked. Mm-hmm. We had uh, Issa Rae. All these people talking about the difficulties they encountered dealing with their their race and their background and their culture uh, and getting into the industry. I, I thought all of that was spectacular. And having those stories tied in with the, the frontline workers' stories, this was like a really cool moment to kind of highlight everybody's struggle, the universal struggle that we're all dealing with right now in life against the backdrop of overcoming. 
and they really uh, structured it very well. Because I think, you know, if you did that at a live show with a live audience, you're basically putting Oprah or Chris Rock up there and they're yes. introducing Tyler Perry. But here you have this big, beautiful montage where it really does tell the story of this guy lived in his car. Mm-hmm. This guy self-financed his, his, his work early in his career. This guy built an empire and he did it the right way. And I love that they kind of, you know, shook a fist at anybody, all the haters who may not like some of his comedies or whatever. And I, I, yeah. I, I really enjoyed that because they basically showed everything that's been working so well for him behind the scenes. And they bookended the, the montage with, with, with uh, just some great storytelling. Again, I thought the montages worked on the night. Uh, Mike, we do want to mention this as a stat, which is very exciting, I think. Well, it's exciting on the one hand, but it's another one of those what took so longs on the other. Record number of nominations for black actors going into the Emmys night of 18, at least for the majors. Record number of wins last night in nine. Anthony Anderson's whole bit when he was in there in the studio live to present, that was uh, part of his whole presentation. He was very, very funny about it, cutting off Jimmy Kimmel. They had a, a whole bit about it. It was a great job. You know what else I liked? I liked the uh, the Black Lives Matter was permeating throughout. I mean, we had mm-hmm. Anthony Anderson talking about it. Sterling K. Brown, when he came out to present, was wearing the T-shirt. Really, really cool to see. Really cool to see. And I just thought balanced in terms of you know they know it's a comedy show but they know it's important i don't know how you balance that tonal and that's the most important balance that these award shows are going to have to face going right. like i i don't know how you get it right tonally either it's un it's i think the emmys did a relatively successful job i, I don't know how the the oscars are going to pull it i mean it's just it's a tall task and i don't know man i i wouldn't want to be the director that's for sure yeah, the world may be crumbling around them, right. but they're still going to make us laugh and tell us about an important about important events. I mean, it, it, all things considered, I thought last night was more successful than what people are giving them credit for this morning. I agree. And again, I agree. we're not Emmy snobs as much as we're Oscar snobs, so we probably got to check ourselves at the end of the day because we're very hard on the Oscars at the end, you know, most years. Well, these are unqualified takes for a reason. These are unqualified <laughs> takes. Well, let's talk about the three big shows that won and a couple of the big surprises, Mike. Schitt's Creek won the first seven awards of the night. Actress, actor, writing, director, supporting actor and actress. Uh, Catherine O'Hara, Eugene Levy, Dan Levy won three times. Andrew Civadino, <laughs> the writer there. Uh, Amy Murphy with a big win. And then, of course, the full series. I thought this was fascinating to see them give credit for like that Breaking Bad bump that Netflix gave Shit's Creek when yeah. it got off of Pop TV and everything went to Netflix and now the exposure's through the roof. But this is a record-breaking seven-win sweep, according to Scott Feinberg and many others. It means Marvelous Mrs. Maisel got snubbed. That won eight last year, and it was 0 for 8 this year. What would you think of Shit's Creek going off? <laughs> I was happy for everyone, but because of the way they structured the show, yeah. it was like, good God, why leave the room? <laughs> like, every 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 award was just Shit's Creek, Shit's Creek. And they keep going back to that dining room where the whole cast was. I was very proud of myself at the joke that I made that nobody really retweeted or whatever. But I was just like, wait, John Oliver's in Shit's Creek? Yeah. I thought that was great. I thought, I was like, this is the best Twitter joke I've ever made. I should have hashtagged it Emmys 2020. A lot of people retweeted me immediately but then like I, usually i don't try and do the you know cutesy one-liner on, on i'm Twitter. finally going viral i was like this is the one <laughs> and of course it's stupid of me to think that because it, it lasts like 30 seconds like if it doesn't go viral in 30 seconds you're a dope honey get the kids put them in the car we're heading to hollywood <laughs> i was ready I, I thought that was it Zoom. <laughs> I will say my big complaint, which I said to you, and, and this is where, I mean, the Shit's Creek dining room is where it, it got me going. Like, yeah. look, you can't make jokes about social distancing and needing to be six feet apart, and, and you can't have a Hollywood award show centered on that and focused on that and then not follow your own rules. And I know, like, Shit's Creek, when Catherine O'Hara won the first award of the night, she walked right over to Eugene Levy, she took off her mask, gave him a kiss and hug. Like, I get it, right? right? And maybe they were all tested, and it happened a couple other rooms, and then when they were repeat winners, like the Watchmen room, uh, I think it was Lindelof who said, we were all tested, I swear. Jason Sudeikis, right. one of his bits on the night was getting a real-time COVID test in the studio. 
if Hollywood actually yeah, cares this much, they need to be aware of it. You yeah. can't make a joke between Jennifer Aniston and Jimmy Kimmel about being 60 feet apart and then going to the the nominees package and then coming back, they're three feet apart from each other and neither one of them are wearing masks. Like, if you actually care about this shit, you gotta follow the rules. That's kind of the whole point of what we're all struggling with and going through right now. You don't get to be excused just because it's the Emmys night. Strangely enough, the everybody's tested every day NBA bubble, they probably handle it the best because yeah. they understand that they're setting an example for everybody every day with every broadcast. Right. Everybody wears their masks in interviews. And even if it's not necessarily necessary, they make sure that I was hoping that everybody at the Emmys would have that hard line and hold to it. But Me too. at the same time, we totally get it and we don't understand you know everything behind the scenes. If, and if they, yeah, exactly. Every maybe clear. everybody was tested every. You know who knows? And maybe they they only got together because they were allowed to be. T- I would, in my heart, I hope that's what happened. But if that is what happened, I would have liked to hear it from Shit's Creek right off the top. You know, the first award of the night. Like I swear to God, everyone got tested. You know, I just would have liked more of that. I'm with you. At the same time, I I get it, and it was it's fun right. to see those moments at the, at the same time. So if we hear that the Shit's Creek uh, cast and crew. Uh, they all have COVID. We will <laughs> omit this segment. Yeah, we'll follow up again. on it with, with more righteous anger. <laughs> Watchmen won four in the limited limited series or movie category. Regina King won lead actress. They won for writing. Uh, Yaya Abdul-Mateen II for supporting actor. One limited series. Mixed in there, Mark Ruffalo won for actor. Uzo Aduba for supporting actress. Unorthodox director Maria Schrader won in that category. Now, I've watched Watchmen, and I think it, it's, it's a really interesting show. I thought it was like six episodes super strong. Obviously, it's worthy of Regina King. Obviously, the subject matter is important. I wanted something like Unbelievable to win here, but then it was right. snubbed going into the night. What did you think of, of Watchmen kind of winning four out of seven there? Uh, having not seen the show, I, you know, I can generally comment on the power of Regina King in general, but I will comment on this. Yaya Abdul-Mateen, Regina King, Mark Ruffalo, who's not in Watchmen, but one for uh, an HBO movie. Uh, they all really did take advantage of their moment to speak and their right. acceptance speeches. I thought they hit on a lot of political issues without being clearly political about them. Right. They were very, you know, they, the, the urge to vote was there, but it was more of just an impetus of being kind to each other and, and wanting to accept one another. And I thought that was a really gentle way of handling it. And I thought, you know, I, we're biased. I'm certainly probably more biased than you are. Uh, at least that's how it comes off on the microphones most episodes. But I thought even if you had, you know, a different point of view about this, it would be tough to argue with the messages they were saying because they weren't just saying vote Biden. They were saying look into your heart. We're better when we accept each other's diversity. What kind of country do we want to be, et cetera, et cetera. I thought that was all really well done by each and every one of them. And it's a, it's a front and center on the show, which was uh, refreshing at the end of the day, even if I think like they tried to follow the comics really closely in, in structure, I think mm-hmm. at the end of the day, obviously it's not, it's not a direct adaptation of the comics. I don't think anyway, I've just read the first saga or whatever. I loved the first six episodes of that show and really got angry at the last like three. I just thought oh, I really? dropped the ball at the end. But I, it, it's such a good hook. What a surprise from Lindelof there. <laughs> such a good beginning. <laughs> such a good act, too. They're going to explain the universe to me. And then, of course, they failed to do Is that so. set up for a second season? I know there's been talk about it. I don't know if they officially pulled the trigger that they're coming back or not. But... I heard no. I heard no. Okay. that that was that with uh, Watchmen. It's too expensive. Or for some reason, I, maybe they can, you know, reboot it. But mm. yeah, I mean, it, the way the show ended, I could totally see a second season. But at the same time, I don't think they're going there. What was cool about that show is that it's a like 20 years later sequel to the original story. And I, usually you get prequels, right? right. If you're going to revisit something like this where it's an IP and you're trying to honor the IP. No, this was totally different. I really enjoyed how they kind of eventually became, made it a sequel. Hmm, cool. Anyway, Succession won four out of the seven in the drama categories, losing actress. We'll talk about that in a minute, losing the two supporting categories. Jeremy Strong won in lead actor. It also won for writing, directing, and, of course, drama series. This was one of your favorite shows on the year, mine as well. I felt like it was worthy. Yeah, I, I you know, it, it seemed to be... 
Succession, but if not Succession, maybe Ozark has a chance, but it's going to be Succession, and that seemed to bear fruit. And it was one of the most well-received, well-regarded. You tweeted about it. It was appointment television. It was one of the best seasons of TV this year. I think it's quite appropriate uh, that it did as well as it did, and I think I'm most happy for for Jeremy Strong. Uh, well, you watched them there. both, actually. You watched Ozark. Yeah. I didn't watch Ozark. Yeah. I was kind of going with the uh, what people were predicting. And I probably, yeah, I probably shouldn't have spoke with as well, look, much authority as I did because I was like, Succession's the best show of the year, and well, I'm a douche. But do you think it was better than Ozark? First of all, I'm used to you being a douche. No, uh, look, I, I, personally, I liked Ozark more, but I'm, again, shock of shocks, I'm in the minority with that opinion. Succession certainly was more renowned uh, between critics and fans, I think, overall, than Ozark was. So I don't think you could have gone wrong with either one of them. And Julia Garner ended up actually winning for Ozark and kept them from being that 0 for 17 slump that they would have tied a record with. Pulling uh, the she- old Irishman. <laughs> <laughs> as it's known in the business. Um, but yeah, I thought Ozark deserved more than just one. However, they got their one and it was nice. And it's nice that that season can be called an awards uh, winning season. So in terms of major noms on the night, we had Watchmen lead with 11, Succession with 10, Ozark with 9, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel with 8, Shit's Creek, I think went 7 for 7 or 7 for 8. I, I Wikipedia is wrong today they had seven and then eight anyway major wins we had Shits creek with seven succession with four watchmen with four i don't think people expected such a sweep from Shits creek you come away saying all right i have to watch watchmen i have to watch Shits creek now i'm, I'm kind of thinking i have to watch Shits creek now on netflix yeah i have to watch Shits creek i, I just want to see what I'll... look here's what i came away with mike and, and ride with me for a second here because this is going to be a surprise <laughs> to absolutely no one between the succession wins and a virtual sweep, it did, I know it didn't sweep, but it won a lot of the major categories. And Ozark dodging the history that it dodged. It didn't go 0 for 17. Didn't, it wasn't one of those notorious misses because of Julie Garner. And the Shits Creek sweep. No comedy had ever gone 7 for 7 like that. And Eugene Levy's first ever acting award, a prestigious award ever given, which is actually, I can't believe that was a fact, but this was his first acting Emmy ever or of any kind of caliber, Golden Globe, etc. Mm-hmm. Um and between that with Nomadland being the first film to ever win both the Golden Lion and the Girls' uh, People's Choice Award. So my mind works in primarily two avenues when a lot of good things are going. <laughs> right? I work in the cynical and the subconscious. Mm. My cynical mind sees all of this and goes, gee, isn't it awfully coincidental that 2020, which has been this landmark pile of shit all around uh, for all avenues, including entertainment, isn't it just a little coincidental that all of this just happened to be the year that all these first ever and landmark achievements and streak type achievements all are happening at the same time? Isn't that a bit too on the nose for when we need a good story for how awful 2020 has been? Maybe the voters consciously said, let's just pick all of these and let's just make history. Is Schitt's Creek really worthy of going seven for seven? Is Ozark really worthy of having avoided that monumental O for? Is Nomadland really worth? And maybe they are, but my cynical mind says, nah, maybe not. All right. But if they are, My subconscious mind says, if people truly actually voted the way they feel, which Mm -hmm. I, you know, rationally, that is what I believe, then how much of 2020 being a pile of shit played into their subconscious and how they voted and wanting to see all these happy things? And how much was that a tiebreaker for different scenarios on their card, I wonder? So I totally agree with you. That being said, when you were basically taking all that time to describe your psyche to me and I like explain how you think to me. I had to gently and I tell the listeners, I need to tell the listeners here because if you're a regular with us, then I'm sure the same thing happened to you where your eyes kind of felt like they locked into that eye roll, right? Behind your head. And I had to gently, if you heard something during that rant, I had to gently tap the top of my head to get the eyes back to normal. So I just, you know, I, again, I agree, agree with you. And I think the sentiment is something I could get behind. And yeah, let's not give any Fs as a voting body this year. Academy of Television, Academy of Film, uh, Ampus. So let's make sure that we just get what we want at the yeah. end of the day. Don't give any Fs. I mean, you did it kind of last year in three out of four of this administration, right? 
where you just voted in Parasite, which was the movie of the year, mm-hmm. according to many people, except for one person on this podcast. But <laughs> they didn't give any Fs. They're like, screw it. Oh, we know we're giving it right. another award. No, you're right. Let's just do that the rest of the year. Let's totally do that. I agree with the overall sentiment, and I, I'll believe it when I see it at the Oscars at the end of the day, but I'm totally in for it, and I guess that's the fi- you know a good way to finally transition to the biggest surprises, the biggest winners of the night in terms of those surprises. Zendaya won for Actress in a Drama Series from Euphoria. This was a big underdog. She was plus 1,000 heading into the night, Mike. Wow, what a moment, too. I think it was Eric Anderson who who predicted her, too, was holding strong. I'm not I'm not entirely positive, so my, my apologies if that's not who it was, but somebody on film Twitter was, uh, like, putting their foot down. Nebis Ben won a lot of money. He had, he had like, a big bet. Oh, good for posted. him. Yeah. Good. I, think, I good. think it was for that one. Otherwise, he won another long shot somewhere in there. But, uh, yeah, he posted his betting uh, receipt or whatever, I guess is what people do, Mike, if they <laughs> legally bet on something, something that you never mm. get. You just get mm. a knock mm. on the door. This all sounds fishy to me. Uh, no, no, hey, good. I, look, Zendaya winning was certainly one of the moments of the night, and to know that she's a bona fide primetime Emmy winner for lead actress already at such a young age, I, my God. I said the kids are taking over, and I mean it. She's going to be a force if she's not already. 24 years old, but it makes sense because, right, she was a child star, and mm-hmm. uh, hopefully, you know, she seems like... She's not the character from Euphoria, which is a show I couldn't watch working with high school kids <laughs> right. for half of my every day. I just couldn't deal with it. So right. it's like high school kids immediately taking all the drugs in the world. I, uh, sorry. I tried. It lasted like 15 minutes. And I was like, no, I don't want to believe it. I know it's true, but I don't want to believe it. Anyway, You're all too innocent. Right. So maybe I'll get to it in 10 years from now or something. But I, I'm glad for her. I'm glad that she could you know win with that portrayal billy crudup mark ruffalo uzo aduba i think were somewhat surprises at the end of the day i think it helped that you know our principle of category cannibalization i know other people talked about vote splitting as the technical term i just put it into zombie horror movie context since the beginning category of this podcast cannibalization just sounds so much cooler anyway category cannibalization right <laughs> That's what it is, and it's it's a very real thing. It happened twice on Emmy's night. There was two categories where three nominees were from the same program, and neither time did one of those nominees win. It went to a a fourth person who was in a separate program both times. Uh, and I, I, you know, it's kind of cool to see that play out in real time. I mean, sure, it's heartbreaking for the people nominated, but as a viewer, right. it's cool to see that play out in real time. And I don't know that you can attribute it to much else. I mean, Billy Crudup, I think, is a big, big surprise winning in how he did. Well, I don't think it happens necessarily if it's a runaway, obviously, because we've seen we've seen the favorite uh, who was in the favorite that won for supporting. Oh no, they both lost. Rachel Vice and Emma Stone. Never yeah. mind. Yeah. But uh, bottom line is, I think it only happens if it's a close race all around. So Billy Crudup's a worthy winner. Mark Ruffalo's a worthy winner. Yeah. Uzo's a worthy winner. Uzo is probably someone everybody should have predicted because it's her third win. I mean, she's won for Orange Is the New Black a couple times as well. So so it happened I, three times. Did I miss one? It happened three times last night. I don't know if those were the three times necessarily, but uh, it at least happened three times with uh, supporting actors and actresses from Succession, or twice from Succession, and then uh, maybe one more. My Unqualified Emmy reactions. <laughs> My brain's going to mush here, Mike, but I guess we can finish out with the overall tallies. Um, so in terms of the noms by network, Netflix led on the night with 37, HBO with 32, Hulu with 14, FX and NBC with 11, Amazon with 8, Pop with 7. In terms of the wins, though, Netflix had a rough night, only winning two out of the 37. Pop TV went seven for seven, obviously it just basically this year's neon for the TV mm-hmm. landscape. And HBO went 11 for 32, but I guess you'll take that, uh, you know, 30-something percent or whatever. I can't do math. 11 out of 32, that's pretty good. And yeah, HBO a little better keeps than the, the prestige. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Pop TV, I'm sure, must be absolutely ecstatic with what they did with uh, Schitt's Creek and having that money rolling in from uh, being able to license that out for syndication and for uh, streaming. It's a big deal. Uh, Netflix, I would love to be a fly on the wall of their boardrooms today and just wanting, I, I just feel every major award show we pass where Netflix doesn't do gangbusters, I just feel like the rage is building inside of their wallets. 
<laughs> I worry too. I worry that it's going to be like a Thanos level retaliation right. at some point. Right. So that'll be interesting to keep an eye on. But no, the big story is. Uh, I think it's three-headed. It's Succession, which I think is the less of the, the least of the three. It's uh, Zendaya, which was a huge uh, win and a huge landmark moment. And it's, uh, I think the biggest story, obviously, is Shit's Creek in that sweep. I'm going to have to watch Shit's Creek. I think you agree. We did want to end with one other non-TV story to kind of yeah. bookend this and, and talk about it as an Oscar race checkpoint. But I do think Emmy winners tend to influence the Oscars, like a Regina King could work herself into the director category this year on the heels of some extra Oscar buzz. We saw last year's supporting actress category. Yeah. The, be something that got the Emmys boost, and we've seen it before. So I, I don't think it. Well, there's lessons it's... to be learned, if nothing. Right. I mean, c- category cannibalization just happened. We just saw it. You know, that's a definitely totally. an Oscars threat. But we did want to talk about the box office and give you guys one last update on that because I'm sure this is the last box office update ever, just in general. <laughs> Look, uh, here's the thing: Tenant had a stronger hold in its third week yeah. than going from week one to week two. So basically, it crossed $250 million worldwide. It made, I think, $6.5 million over the last week in week three, which coming off of a $9 million make in week two, it didn't drop 60%. It only dropped whatever percentage that is, 25% or 29%, something like that. Something like so, that, yeah, around 30 It's a better hold, but it's at a lower number. What, what do you think of the tenant news? I don't think it uh, does anything to sway me from... The ranting we did in that last episode, the box yeah. office apocalypse episode, I think. Unfortunately. You know, at this point, they're just, WB is trying to get whatever they can out of this movie. They obviously cleared the way to have it be. I, I certainly expect it to stick around in theaters for as long as theaters stay open until December. And I think yeah. come November, they'll probably uh, take a look at the landscape. They'll take a look at what tenants done. They'll take a look at where we are as a society right now and dealing with COVID. And then we're going to have some conversations probably before Thanksgiving about, if not sooner, about what they're going to do with Dune and Wonder Woman. There's no way both those movies stay on the December slate like they are. And that's why I wasn't afraid to do the box office episode before we knew we got another box office update. So I figured it wasn't going to move the needle that much, unfortunately, even though I guess it's a, it is a slight silver lining that it had a halfway decent hold. And there is some positivity out there from IndieWire, Tom Bruggeman, etc. about the movie going audience at least continuing to go to the movies in, in the States to a degree. So, all right, I'll just... I'll, I'll kind of sit on the fence there because you went the other way, and I'll, I'll try. Well, to... getting getting to a hundred million is still going to be extremely difficult. I think it's extremely difficult. It's it's probably something that becomes more of a possibility when New York and L.A. open up. If yeah. New York and L.A. open up, but I don't know. It, it doesn't look good right now, unfortunately. And I just it loses its marketing campaign, which it was trying to capitalize on mm-hmm. a pro prolongated, right? A prolongated. <laughs> that's the word. I'm going to type that in right now to dictionary.com. Prolongated. Prolongated. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a word. Prolongated. But is it like you're happy that it's longer? Or what does it mean? To extend the duration of cause to continue longer. To make longer in spatial extent. Look, I'm not ashamed to admit when I don't know a word and <laughs> I'll learn it. That's fine. Anyway, I think the... Uh, prolongated version of this segment should <laughs> mention that the the news that that made the most impact on me was the 800 that is the number one movie of the year it is solely based on the chinese box office and look at this number it's already made 425 million that is an enormous number that is yeah. probably the most heartening news i could give uh, in a box office update that, you know, overseas and other part of the world, people are going to the movies in crowds and droves. And that is exciting to see right before a second wave hits, isn't it, Mike? <laughs> and that's why Mulan was a flop for Disney. Yes. All right. Good. I'm glad we can agree. Uh... <laughs> we had the biggest argument about Mulan. Is it a flop? Is it not a flop? But it's already profitable, but it's still a flop. It's, but it's... a win, but it's a flop, damn it. But yes, a shitty movie is what it is. Unfortunately, <laughs> I reviewed it. It's uh, sorry, it's bad movie. 
guys. We want to know, as always, your thoughts, comments, questions, concerns about the box office, about what happened with Nomadland. What are your expectations? Are you more excited to see it? Are you more sure it's going to be a Best Picture contender, if not outright nominee? Uh, as well, we want to hear what you thought about the Emmys broadcast. Certainly uh, a unique broadcast that it was. You can leave us those, as well as any thoughts, comments, questions, concerns about anything else we do here in the MMO Empire. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook. Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Instagram. At MM and Oscar on Twitter. Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com and on Reddit. We are available everywhere you hear podcasts. If you're listening to us on the Apple Podcast app, if you would be so kind as to go into that app and leave us a five-star review, uh, those help us out a ton. It would make our entire day and take about 10 seconds out of yours to do so. Michael, what are the words of wisdom to end on here and what is coming next from Mike, Mike, and Oscar? It is wise to check out filmlinklinc.org to get some New York Film Festival tickets. There are still some available for the next few weeks, guys. A lot of these are sold out, but a lot of uh, $12, $15, $25 tickets are still available for the coming weeks on some of these movies. So, yeah, check them out. See what you can find tickets to. It's all virtual. Mike and I got some big slates for ourselves. We're going to start reviewing these movies going forward. And Lincoln Center, respond, you know, that personnel, that personnel group was responsible for a lot of my film education through college based on where I was situated in New York City. And uh, I do want to give them a shout out there. They got IndieWire people at the top of their film festival in terms of the new director, et cetera, et cetera. So support them. It is a nationwide endeavor to sell a lot of tickets. I know they've already surpassed their goal, but they support a lot of great theaters in New York City as well, a lot of great film institutions. So support them. Very wise words indeed. What do we got for uh, coming next from us, Mike? No idea <laughs> ne- what's next. We're, we're talking about kind of really putting in a big website day, maybe perhaps, or we may do the next Bond episode. We don't know yet. We know we got film festival stuff that we're going to review starting this weekend for next week and for this weekend, but uh, we're not sure when we're getting to the next episode. So this may be what you get for a little bit, or you may see us again immediately. We don't know. It'll be a surprise. (laughs) When reality sucks, you can come watch uh, even other award shows with us, not just movie-based ones. Hopefully share some last year. Mike, Mike, and Oscar. Trying to make award season year-round without the stuffiness. Thanks for listening. We'll see you all very soon. See you.